I just trust the Lord's going to do some good stuff as we jump into his word. I'm going to read a few scriptures here and then we'll, uh, we'll go back. I'm going to try and make it through verse 9. And I know you're laughing at me, so just, you know, last time I was here, we only made it through two verses, but don't hold it against me. Hey, the Lord just said stop, so I stopped. And we hung on that one thing for a while, and who knows, the Lord might do that too. We might not even get through one verse tonight, but if God says what he wants to say, then why do we care? Right? doesn't matter. So... Verse 1, I'm reading from the New American Standard. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior by your apostles. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with mocking following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, did I miss something? Oh, no, that's right. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of godly men, ungodly men, not godly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So let's go back to verse 1. Lord, bless your word. Open it up in our hearts. Feed us. This now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, uh, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. This is the second time in this letter that he's saying to us, I know you've heard this before, I'm just reminding you. He said that in the last chapter, too. Don't worry about it. I'm reminding you. It's good for me to remind you. you I'm going to keep on reminding you. I remember my, uh, I had a boss years ago that that was his favorite verse. I'm going to keep on reminding you, even though I, you already know these things, I'm going to keep on reminding you and keep on reminding you and keep on reminding you and keep on reminding you. And that was just his favorite thing to say all the time. I'm going to keep on reminding you of this. So he would come in and go, you know, that's due on whatever. And I'm like, yes, I know. And he goes, I'm going to keep on reminding you of this, even though I know he, it's not really using it in context, but he liked to use it anyway. Exactly. Yes. If I have told, you know, there's, there's all those wonderful parent phrases, like if it had been a snake, it would have bit you, you know, those kind of, those are always fun. But anyway, (laughs) it is amazing. Uh, how much kids can remember and how much they can forget. When you look them in the eye and say, do not shoot your airsoft gun in the house, ever. And 10 minutes later, here comes a BB flying through. I, we've allowed our two oldest children to 
have a few airsoft guns, which is just a BB gun, but they use little plastic BBs instead of the metal ones. And they're having a lot of fun with them. And we left them home for something. We were going to be gone for like 45 minutes to do something, and then we, we get back. And, uh, and you know, the BB guns had been out, but they were hidden again before we got home. And I don't remember exactly how we found that out, but we did. And this has nothing to do with the text, so just, you know, this is just a story. And that night, after we had yelled at them, you know you're not allowed to shoot them in the house, blah, blah, blah. That night, I'm sitting on my couch, and I'm eating an orange. And I pull one of the sections out, and I'm like, oh, that's a seed. And I pop it out, and it was a BB. It was one of these little airsoft BBs in my orange. I marched up the stairs and opened the door to the bedroom, and they were supposed to be going to the sink. I said, you wonder where I found this? I'll bet you know where I found this. My one my oldest son just looked at me like, now I know you're talking about my middle son. Like, <laughs> scared out of his wits. He goes, maybe in an orange? It's like, yes! I almost swallowed this thing. But that's what beloved teachers and parents do. We remind you. Yeah, I'm sure it would have. I'm sure it would have. And then there would have been a whole other series of questions, but <laughs> but that's what beloved teachers always do. They remind you over and over and over again of the same thing. For some reason, the human the human brain, the human system needs repetition to make something really sink in, to make something really click, to make something. There's there's a difference between things you know and things you've internalized. That's the phrase I like to use. I don't know exact, I don't know if anybody else uses that phrase for this, but I do. Where it's something that I've lived in an understanding long enough that now it's my DNA. That I've kind of, you know, it's it's gone past a fact that I have an assent to and has become a part of who I am without thinking. Unfortunately, that happens both with good things and with bad things. Where we live around something long enough, how many times you know, have you ever been in a work environment or whatever where people are just cursing constantly and then all of a sudden a curse word comes out of your mouth and you're like, oh, I didn't mean to say that, right? Well, because that's because that kind of language has become internalized for you. It is, it is, you have lived in that for so long, you know, around it for so long. I mean, most of the times through no fault of your own. But that now it's just, it's there, you know, and it's going to pop out when you least expect it. It's, this is, you know, why... We are always, you know, told, I used to tell the youth all the time, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because that's the truth. The people that you hang around with and the thing that you are constantly surrounding yourself with, it shapes who you are. And it makes you, and so Peter is being a really good Papa to this church by saying, I'm going to say this again. I know I said it to you before, but I'm going to say it again. I'm reminding you over and over again. Here it is again. Don't forget this. Don't forget this. You know, and I, I want to be the kind of dad and the kind of leader that has phrases that I'm known for. I really do. I want to have, I want to have things that people are so sick of hearing me say. Because 
but it's going to leave an indelible mark in their memory that they're never going to forget those kind of things. Aaron has hung around me long enough. He's probably got a few of them. I don't know that all of them are great, but you know. So it's the second letter I'm writing you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So these are not things that they had not heard before. He's reminding them. And he begins to talk about eschatology or the study of last things. That's what this part of the this, the next few verses is about. He's talking about the, the fact that they know about what's coming in the last days, that they have an understanding of this. Now, at, when I have taught on the end times in the past in the church, I, I always wait for the one person to, or two or five that are going to come to me and say, you know what, this is really interesting, but when are we going to start talking about the important stuff? And I, I just wait for that person because I got my guns ready and loaded. Because fully one-third of the Bible is about the end times. Do you think God doesn't want us to know? You know, here in the next verse, he says, you, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. So the Old Testament talks about this. And the commandment of the Lord and Savior so Jesus spoke about the end times and by your apostles. So the apostolic ministry speaks of the end times. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. All of it, it was a regular teaching of the Christian fathers at that time. When they were planting a church, when they were going into a new region, when they were converting someone to Christianity, a part of their conversation was the end times. It was what was coming. It was that we are in the last days. And folks, that was 2,000 years ago. So I think we're a little closer to the end of the end than they were 2,000 years ago. This should be on our radar. It should be something we understand. And this is Peter saying, I'm stirring up your memory again. Remember where we live. Remember that the days are short. Remember that we are not walking around in a mode of operation that is going to continue forever. Things are changing. The world and history is wrapping up. This is, we are moving towards the end of all things. Do not forget it. He talks about this in 1 Peter. Do not forget it. We are on our way to the end of all things. And as a as a people who love Jesus, we should care about the end times and we should study them. We should know what the Bible has to say about the end times. Now, many of you, I'm sure, were in here, what was it, a year ago, when, when this class went through the book of Revelation and studied the, the end times. So you're fully informed. And that is right and good and solid. That is teaching the whole counsel of the word of God for God's people to understand the end times. And that's, all, that's what Peter's trying to say here. Eschatology was a, it was a point of importance. So he wants to remind them of that. Uh, verse 3, know this. See, we already made it past the first two verses. Isn't that great? Good job. No, we need to understand that this is, this is absolutely important. So he says, no, first of all. So now he's going to hit the highlights again. First of all, he said, I want to remind you, this is important. I'm putting a big exclamation point down on the end times. This is important. Wake up and remember. Keep it fresh. In your minds, you know, I love one of the one of the things 
you know, that uh, the Apostle Paul says in, I don't remember if it's 1 Thessalonians or 2, I think it's 1 Thessalonians, he says, he says, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. You know, when we're going through something rough, and I talked about this a little bit on Sunday morning, when we are going through something rough, when we are going through a time in our lives here on the earth at this moment, and it stinks, okay? It's a bad time. We are not enjoying ourselves, whether it's sickness or pain or the loss of a loved one or you name it, difficulty with finances, whatever the trouble might be. When we are going through those things, lifting our head to what the majority of our eternity is going to be like, okay, we have these short years these 70, 80, 90 years, however many years we have here, we have. And then we have a billion years beyond, without end, of pleasure and joy forevermore, ever increasing in the presence of Almighty God. Do we really have a place to complain? For the ones who belong to Christ, this is as bad as it's going to get. That is such good news. When we look around, I remember there was a movie back then. It's called As Good As It Gets. And there's this line in the movie where the guy says, what if this is as good as it gets? And the people in the room all go, oh, because they're all having a rough time. And I'm going, it's not. I know it only gets better. It, you know, go ahead, shoot me in the head, kill me, because all that's going to happen is you're going to give me something far greater where my Star Wars nerds strike me down and I'll be more powerful than you could possibly imagine, right? I mean, that's... Right? Okay, but, that, but that's, that's where we live. Death is not something that you and I should be afraid of. The end times, I remember when I was a kid, I would sit in the pews and just quake when they would preach about the end times. I was so scared. And then we'd have a day where the sunset would be really red, and I'd be like, the sun will turn to blood! And I would like be running through the house, Dad, Dad, where are you? And you know, if I didn't find Dad, then I was really having a heart attack. Oh, the rapture happened, and I was so fine! You know, it was just... It was terrible. My parents made me watch that Distant Thunder movie. Did you ever see that movie? Anyway, really horrible movie. You can find it on YouTube. But anyway, the end times used to be a message. It wasn't encouraging to me. It was absolutely frightening to me. But as I I have walked further in my relationship with Jesus Christ, it has become the great hope the blessed hope, that's what we call it in the 16 Fundamental Truths, the blessed hope that sits out in front of me, that no matter what happens to me in this moment, in this life, I have something coming that is so much greater than where I'm at and so much greater than anything anybody could ever give me or do for me in this world. I have something so much better coming that this life means very little as far as whether it's good or bad or horrible or great. And that's not important. What's important is that this life is fully given over, not wasted, poured out as a drink offering on the feet of Jesus because forever I will reap the benefits of what God did through my suffering and pain in these moments. We've got to encourage one another with these words. Guess what? Yes, you have cancer, and yes, Jesus wants to heal you, but even if he doesn't, what is the worst possible thing? You will suffer for a time, and then all of your suffering will be over forever and ever and ever and ever. Speak, to, speak this to the ones who've lost loved ones. They, have, they are doing so much better now than they were doing five minutes ago. 
We are a people who have gone. I just, I'm so filled by this phrase that the Lord just pounded into my heart for a Sunday morning sermon. We are a people who have gone with, from only bad news to tell, and now we have only good news to tell. That's all there is left to us, is good news. We can't complain, we can't, because it's only going to get better. The worst possible thing that can happen to a human being is the best possible thing that can happen to a Christian. It's beautiful. So, verse 3. I couldn't go through two verses in that short of amount of time. I just couldn't. So, verse 3. So, now he's going to hit the highlights here. He's going to say, okay, here are some of the things mainly that I want to remind you of. Some big block things that we talked about before that I want to make sure that you remember. Okay, first of all. Uh, in, the, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. Okay, this was apparently a prophetic revelation that had been given to the people at that time that was very strong. Because Peter talks about it, Jude talks about it, and Paul talks about it. In the last days, okay, 2 Timothy 3.1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these." Paul says that to Timothy. Look, as the days get darker, as the time goes further, there are going to be a whole new tribe of people who are taking, take up the spirit of Antichrist and they're going to hate everything you stand for and they're going to mock. They're going to follow their own lusts. In fact, uh, in 2 Timothy 4.3, it says people will be unable to endure sound doctrine. They're going to gather teachers around them that are just going to tickle their itching ears. You know, no, that, don't talk to me about judgment don't talk to me about hell. Don't talk to me about, about walking a life of grace and victory over sin. Talk to me about uh, how, how the Lord's going to bless me and give me lots of money. Talk to me about how, you know, you know they're just going to gather teachers around them that just make them feel good about themselves. Not teachers around them that teach them the word of God and call them to stand under the word. In the last days, more and more and more of that is going to be taking place. Jesus talked about this also in Matthew chapter 24, 24, 5, I think is where it is. He says, in the last days, there will be false teachers, false prophets, people that will come in my name and they will say lots of things and they'll perform signs and wonders even to fool, if possible, even the elect. Now, a lot of times we like to just focus that on the Antichrist himself and say, yeah, the Antichrist is going to be able to do that. But Jesus was saying, no, 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 yes. There will be a singular man at the end of time who's going to rise up and who, you know, nobody's going to call him the Antichrist and people aren't going to, he's not going to say, hi, I'm the Antichrist. I think sometimes the church feels like he will. Like he'll stand up and be like, hi, church, I'm the Antichrist. Would you get in line so I can cut your head off now? It's not going to be like that. Okay? He's going to be persuasive. And he's going to be, he's, he's, he's going to stir us. And it's going to be fun to listen to him talk. And it's going to be interesting to hear what he has to say. And he's going to have things that are going to sound really wise. And only people who have spent time in the word and who are grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ are going to be able to look at him and go, I'm not fooled, buddy. 
But the rest of the world will swallow it whole and say, oh, thank God for such a man. In fact, eventually it's going to be, you are God is where it's going to go. And they're going to bow down and they're going to worship him. And anybody that doesn't worship him, they're going to be very angry with, how dare you not worship him? Haven't you seen what he does? Don't you know who he is? He's a man of peace. He's a man of, you know, did you see what he did in the Middle East? He solved the whole Israel-Arab conflict. I mean, like nothing. He just stepped in and it was fixed. When did Jesus ever do that? Right? I mean, there's, be ready. That's coming. But before that ever gets here, the spirit of Antichrist is going to be increasing and increasing and increasing and increasing and increasing. This is what 2 Thessalonians talks to us about, the spirit of Antichrist that's already at loose in the world. And it's going to be increasing, getting stronger and stronger and stronger until the end of days. And as it grows more powerful, more of our culture, more of the church will be taking it on. And they're these mockers. They're these people led by their own sensuality. They're these people that are running away from the gospel. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Watch out for these people. Pay attention to what they're saying. That's why he gave us the whole last chapter to tell us when false teachers arise. Remember he said, when they arise, not if. When false prophets and false teachers arise, this is the kind of things they're going to say. This is the kind of things they're going to do. That's what all of chapter two is all about. This is what they look like. Keep on the lookout. And now he's saying, understand they are coming. Jude 1.18 says there will be mockers in the last days. And it's right out of, uh, when he says following after their own lusts, he said that about them in 2 Peter 2, verse 2. One of the things I want to kind of, I want to bring as a warning out of this, we talk, there's, there's whole segments of the church that are very, that love to talk about the end times. And, and I, I do too, I'm one of them. But most of them jump right over this prediction. Most of them are, don't talk to you about the false prophets and the false teachers or whatever they're going to come. Prior to, no matter where you think the, uh, the rapture of the church is going to happen, these kind of people will be in our midst and amongst us before we are taken out of here. It's going to happen prior to. Just be ready. It's already happening now. And they're everywhere. And that is, for for Peter and for Paul, that is one of the primary signs of the wrapping up of the end of the age. When this begins to happen more and more, pay attention, because that is the big warning sign. It's the huge red flag. It's the flashing light on the dash saying, you are coming to the end. When false teachers begin to pop up like mushrooms after a heavy rain, okay, that's when you know we are on the edge. We're on the edge. Know it. Understand it. Be aware. Let it wake you up to the fact that Jesus is coming really, really soon. We love to talk about all the other stuff like what's happening in Europe or look at ISIS or look at this and look at all these world events and that's fine. And Israel's a nation again. All of that's great. Those are all signs. But this is, this is one that Peter and Paul both said was a primary sign. And I don't hear it talked about very much at all. I just don't. 
Don't hear people talking about, watch out, when you see false teachers popping up everywhere, that's a sign of the end times. So be ready. Okay. Verse 4. And they're saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Where is the promise of his coming? You hear this? How many of you had this conversation with somebody? And you say, Jesus is coming soon. And they're like, yeah, they were saying that 2,000 years ago. How many times have you heard that? I've heard it lots. I've heard it lots. Where is the, oh, really? He's coming soon? Really? Yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it. Right? I mean, that's what they said. Yeah, they were saying that my grandparents said that and they're dead and Jesus didn't come. So guess what? I hear it all the time. All over the place. It's one of the primary reasons I think people don't like talking about the end time. It's because the church has been saying for 2,000 years, the end is coming soon, the end is coming soon, the end is coming soon. And instead of getting more and more alarmed about that, the further we get down the road, people are getting sleepier and sleepier and sleepier about it. How many of you know Misty Edwards, the, the worship leader? I wish I could, I, if I could, I would play you this song. It's a song that she did on one of her albums called Jesus is Coming. People get ready, Jesus is coming. And, and the chorus says, people get ready, Jesus is coming. But then she goes to this verse, and it's people walking around with their fingers in their ears saying, na, 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 na. I'm not going to hear the sound of the coming king. And it's, it's like, like you know, this, and she's like, but it doesn't change a thing, because it doesn't matter what your theology is, Jesus is coming. It doesn't matter how you explain away all that you symbol, symbolize all of the different stuff. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And one of the things that she says in the song is she just starts singing, it's never rained before. It's never rained before. Because here's what was happening in the days of Noah, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but in the days of Noah, it had not yet rained on the earth. Here was Noah. Standing up in front of in front of all the humans that were on the earth, and he was saying, "Water is going to fall from the sky." And they're like, "Water is going to fall from the sky." Noah, that's never happened before. Have you ever seen water fall from the sky? Noah, it's never happened. There's never been water fall from the sky because it didn't rain. It would do every day, but it never had not rained on the earth. Go check it out. It's in Genesis. It had not rained ever. And, and imagine how ridiculous it must have sounded to them that water was going to fall. Oh, sure it is, Noah. Water's going to fall. Ooh, oh, did I have water falling from the sky? And it sounded really ridiculous until that day that first drop hit them in the head. It sounded really ridiculous until the day all of a sudden things are pouring down. What's going on? And they all of a sudden realize, oh, no, that brings the old man's life. How many of those disaster movies? I love disaster movies. You guys like disaster movies? I love disaster movies because they're just hysterically funny to me. Oh, come on, somebody. Did you ever see The Day before, the day After Tomorrow? That is one of my all-time favorites. Anybody ever seen that film? It's, it's a great ride. You gotta see it. It's so bad. It's so terribly made. But that's why I just laugh through the whole thing. Because there's always one crazy scientist that's saying, you don't understand. It's gonna happen. This is coming. And everything's like, you're stupid. Go away. And they're trying to shut them up. And of course, the whole scientific community is just Trying to be shutting them up and, 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 and tell them to be quiet for years because they don't have a lake to stand on. And he's got the proof right here in his hands. And then all of a sudden, what happens, right? Of course, he was right. 
and the whole world's going to be covered in ice in the next 24 hours, okay? And, and right, like, okay, that's what's going on in the days of Noah. Noah was standing up in front of the world proclaiming God is bringing judgment on the earth. It is coming. And not only that, he was doing this crazy, crazy thing. He was building a boat on the land. A gigantic boat. Bigger than any boat that anybody's ever seen. And check this out. Animals are going to come from all over and just climb on this boat. Can you imagine the conversations? They're crazy now. It took them like 300 years to build the ark. Okay, so they had a whole lot of time to gossip about him and say horrible things about him. And say he was this crazy old man. Oh, he's the crazy old man that lives on the hill that's building the boat in his backyard. Isn't he a goofball? Isn't that funny? And it was really hysterical right up until the moment that the door, until, you know, you know, you would have thought that as the animals were marching from everywhere and coming up onto the boat, that they would have said, maybe there's something to this. But the Bible does not record even one person that believed Noah. Not one. Now his family was on the boat with him, but that was it. Preaching for 300 years and not one convert, but that's what happened. Noah was preaching, and his testimony, the sloshing of the tar against the side of the, of the thing, and him constantly saying, the rain is coming. Water is going to fall from the sky. God is going to flood the entire earth, and every one of you is going to die, but you can be saved. Just get on this boat with me. And everybody's saying, it's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. There were mockers back then. He doesn't know. He's stupid. He's a, he's a cuckoo. He really loves Cocoa Puffs, right? Okay, that's up until the day, up until that fateful day. All the animals are in the boat. Boom! The resounding of that door being shut by God. If you ever watched that Noah movie with, with Russell Crowe, that is just the, first of all, it was just badly written. But second, and are you kidding me? Give me a break. Anyway, don't watch it. If you haven't seen it, it's not worth your time. God had closed the door. And that was the end. Their time to be saved, guess what? The door's closed. Time's up. You had your time. Noah has been telling you for 300 years, get on the boat or you're going to die. And they did not listen. Time has come to an end, and here we are. And guess what? The Bible says that as in the days of Noah, so shall it be. And here we are. They make fun of us. Jesus is coming. Yeah, sure he is. It's been 2,000 years. Oh, he was a good teacher. He was a nice man. I'm not going to disrespect Jesus, but you're, you're weak. You're stupid. Jesus is going to suck people off the face of the earth and take them into the middle of the earth. Sure, yes. Let's make a movie with Nicolas Cage making fun of you. Right? Okay. They're not afraid. But we know. The day will come, and soon, when all the tables are going to be turned on these people, and it will become very clear, all of a sudden, out of the blue, that they were wrong. The judgment has come, and that all their mocking has just been building their own case against them, so that when the day of judgment actually arrives, they are in big trouble. That day is coming. Where is the promise of his coming? Then I, and anytime anybody says to me, should we really be teaching the end times? I'm going, you know what, you don't have to listen to me. I'm going to keep putting the tar on the boat. And I'm going to keep standing up here saying, Jesus is on his way. 
You better get your act together. You can put your fingers in your ears all day long. You can tell me all the theological reasons why that doesn't really mean what it says. You're wrong. He's coming. And you don't want to be one of the virgins that is left outside with no oil in her lamp. Jesus made it really clear. The coming of the Lord will be like uh, a wedding ceremony with ten virgins, or ten wise virgins and ten foolish virgins. And the wise virgins brought extra oil and the other ones didn't. And when the bridegroom finally comes, the trumpet blasts, the bridegroom has come, ready to receive the bride, and they're going to all run to the wedding feast together. And guess what? People are left outside where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That day is coming. And church, we better be ready. We better be ready. Peter says, don't forget. Don't be like these people that say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since, the fathers fell asleep believing this was coming. Oh, I'm going to see it before I go. And then they died. Guess what? They didn't see it coming. They didn't see. They didn't. They saw. They thought it was coming. It didn't come. Guess what? I'm not going to put any hope in this. Wrong. That's foolishness. It's laughing and pointing at Noah when the storm clouds are on the horizon, my friends. Cannot do it. We must not do it. I love this thing that it says that they're saying, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Do you know that this is exactly the argument of the theory of evolution? That everything begins just as it was since the beginning of creation. Since the beginning, everything's been moving along at this at this pace, things have been, you know, and the thing that may turned us from jelly into the first cellular organism by some kind of magic that they still don't have any explanation for also made us from that single cell organism all the way into human beings. That all of that has just been, it just keeps moving along and it's going to keep moving along. And if you hear them talk about, you know, there's this whole tribe out there right now of that are atheistic and really proud of it. I don't know if you've run into these people yet. Anybody know Richard Dawkins? Okay, he's, he's a British atheist who is just, he, he writes books like The God Delusion. Okay, and he worships at the altar of evolution. It is, if you read some of the things that he has said about evolution, it is worshipful. He bows down and worships this idea that we don't need a God to create us. We created ourselves. That's what evolution says, isn't it? I mean, think about it for a minute. Who created us? No one. We got here through our own sweat, blood, and tears over billions of years. That's what it says. It's pointing at God saying we don't need him. That is the spirit of Antichrist. And it should not be a surprise to us that that is the primary message of these atheistic people. We don't need a God. We are a God unto ourselves. And when the Antichrist himself arises, he will be a manifestation of the spirit of Antichrist in a human body even as Jesus was a manifestation of God himself in human flesh, so this man will be a manifestation of the spirit of Antichrist in human flesh. And at some point later on, he will actually be possessed by Satan himself. 
But prior to that, you know, he's, that's what he's going to be. And he's going to be seductive, so be ready. There will be people who call themselves Christians who will follow this man to hell. It is the truth. What did Jesus say? The love of many will grow cold. That's what he said. That is one of the scariest verses in Scripture. The love of many will grow cold. And then the Apostle Paul says that before the second coming, the great rebellion, the great apostasy will take place. Before the, re- before the rapture of the church, the great apostasy will happen. That means the love of many who once named the name of Christ will grow cold and they will walk away. It will happen. It is happening. Here's my question to you. Will you be one of them? It's a pertinent question. The Bible says, when you think you can stand, that's when you need to be the most careful. I want to be driven by that question back into the word, back into prayer, back into worship, back into communication with God, back into accountability with my fellow Christians. I don't want to be one of the ones that grows cold and walks away. I don't want to be one of those. And I can't fix myself. So I'm going to push as far into Jesus as I possibly can and say, help, 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 help. I know that if it was left to just me and if I'm left by myself, I will be one of those who grows cold and walks away. That is what will happen if I don't press into Jesus with everything inside of me and say, help, I don't want to be that one of those. I'm not going to be one of these guys that's on the line going, oh, Fine. It's no big deal. It's fine. I can do whatever I want. You know what? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says it's. You know, the Bible doesn't say that it's. That it's uh, a sin to drink every once in a while. It's fine. It's no big deal. I can just walk right here on this line and just be. You know, I'm not stepping over. I don't want to be that guy. Because that's the kind of guy that before they know it, it's going to slip off the edge, grow cold, and die. And when the Antichrist comes, they're going to be swept up in the movement that's going to destroy them from the inside out. I don't want to be that guy, and neither do you. i got to implore you. I want to awaken you. There is a threat. Stir up the flame of God on the inside of you and stay hot. Somebody told me I yelled a lot on Sunday. I said, well, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm getting more and more like my dad all the time. <laughs> Where's the promise of his coming? It's never rained before. That, that line in that song gets me every time. Because I can hear it in our culture. Oh, a Middle Eastern man who is actually the son of God is going to rip open the sky and come down and he's going to take over the world and be the king of all things. You sure? Sure, because that's happened before. You're right, it hasn't happened before. But that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It hadn't rained before, and all of a sudden, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. I just read an article the other day about this new theory that they have about this layer in the Earth's core that has a bunch of water in it. Enough water to fill the oceans of the world three times over. And the Bible clearly says 
that the fountains of the deep were opened up and water came from under the earth onto the earth when the flood happened. One of the primary things that, that scientists who would argue against a gigantic flood ever happening in our history is like, there's not enough water to do that. Well, yeah, there is. It's just locked inside the earth. And the Bible told us it was there. And now you are finding this and say, wow, isn't that surprising? No, because the Bible told us it was there. I just find that interesting. I love it when, when atheistic scientists are telling me that the word of God is true. Verse 5, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. I love this jab. It escapes their notice. Because these guys, these mockers, they're so proud of their own intelligence. They're, they're so proud. They're so puffed up in their own knowledge. Oh, I have proof that that's not the case. Yeah, sure you do. And the guys back in the day, they had proof that the earth was flat, too. But that's, oops. Okay? Uh, they're so puffed up in their pride and in their arrogance. And then, oh, it just makes me so angry. I'm like, are you serious? You really think? You laugh at the theories that you had only 10 years ago that now you know aren't the truth. But you're standing and saying, well, I know enough to know for sure that none of this is true. Oh, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Get over yourself. And he says, I love this. It's just a little jab from Peter. Well, it, it escapes their notice. Oops. I didn't happen to see the fact that God created everything. Oops. It escaped my notice. You know, they're oblivious to the obvious, okay? It's just, it's like, <laughs> oops, it escaped. Oh, I just didn't happen to notice that, that the universe came from God. Oh, I love one of my favorite things to do. And I'm a big nerd, so just, you know, take this with a grain of salt. But one of my favorite things to do is to listen to astrophysicists talk about how the universe began. Now, all of them are going to say, the Big Bang, the Big Bang, the Big Bang. But if they ever get asked the question, what caused the Big Bang? Uh, they don't know. They don't know. They have a huge theory about the Big Bang. No idea where it came from. None. And either they will all come up with some, some idea that each of them has about how the Big Bang happened, and they're all going to be completely different from each other, or they're just going to be honest enough to say, we don't know. Well, I do. Let there be light. Bang! Okay? I know. You say you don't know, but I know. Because the Bible told me exactly what happened. The Bible makes it really clear. God just said, go, and that's what happened. Don't get I just It just makes me laugh. I love listening to people who think so highly of themselves and that, you know, and, and sound like complete idiots. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Fascinates me. It's escaped their notice. <laughs> it has escaped their notice that by the word of God, all things were formed. The, the, la the last half of that sentence gets a, little, gets a little bit confusing. So let's just pause and listen to what he just said. What escaped their notice? That by the word of God, all things were formed. That's what's escaped their notice. That's what they don't understand. 
That's why they're confused. That's why their lives are so messed up. That's why their marriages aren't working. And you say, well, ours aren't either. Well, then maybe it's escaped our notice too. That's why, that is why they keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. That's why, all, because we forget that by the word of God, all things were created. And the minute we get even a step off of that understanding, our lives begin to just fall apart. Our understanding of the world begins to fall apart. If we don't live in the place where all of it is about him all the time, we're messed up. God created the universe for himself, by himself. That's what this is about. He's the beginning, the middle, and the end. He's the point, he's the purpose, he's the reason. When our eyes are on him and our lives are poured out for him, then our lives make sense. But when our lives become about us or about anything else, they fall apart, they break down, and they make no sense. Do you hear me? It was by his word that everything was formed, including me and you, that came from him. We'll go back to Romans eleven thirty six, my life verse. From him, through him, to him, be all things to God be the glory forever. It's about him. You cannot get away from that. Then he says, the earth was formed out of water and by water. Now, this is interesting, and I read about this a little bit, but all the commentaries are like, either trying to explain that Peter didn't know what he was talking about, like, this isn't a science lesson, okay, this is a poet, he's being poetic. The world, but I see where he gets it. Genesis chapter 1, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the waters, okay? So there was, there was water going on somewhere. That's prior to let there be light, by the way. So there's some kind of water something, water vapor, water whatever. This is why some people think that there was actually a whole creation and destruction that happened prior to the one that we learn about in Genesis 1 verse 2. Because the Bible says, Genesis 1 says, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says, and the spirit of God was over the waters and the earth was void and whatever. And there's, there's a lot of, there's Bible scholars that would say, hey, there's something. God created it, and then it was not, and then it was void. How does that work? There must have been something in there that we don't know about. Guess what? We don't know. So we're not going to talk about it. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. Someday we can ask Jesus about it. But in the meantime, let's not argue, because we just don't know. The point is, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, okay? And then God spoke, let there be light. We're good. All right? So let's just leave that behind. But he does use the term poetically because then in verse 6 he says, through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. So the world was created out of the water and then it was dunked back in the water. And it's kind of a poetic little picture that God took, created the world from water and then destroyed the world with water. It's just an interesting little thing. Not something we need to be all that worried about. But we understand he's talking about here, God did it before and he will do it again. The destruction of the world will come again. Now, God made a promise to us that we're reminded in the rainbow in the sky. Now, some people think that that was the first rainbow that ever happened, that God created the rainbow 
just to show us his promise. And that's not necessarily true. They may have seen the rainbow many, many times. We don't know. Point is, God said, see that rainbow? (laughs) That means I'm not going to flood the whole earth again. But he did not promise us that he was not going to destroy the earth again. He just said, well, I won't do it that way. I'm way more creative than that, Noah. I'm not going to flood things again. Don't worry about the ark getting out of repair. I'm not going to flood the whole world again. It's fine. I've made a promise, a covenant, that I will not do that again. In fact, and then he makes a promise that seed time and harvest and will all continue all the way until the end. He said, so the seasons are going to stay how they are. I wouldn't even understand how much the, you know, when you talk about preserving the environment, when the flood happened, the environment of the world was so jacked up by the flood, things totally changed. I mean, completely. Everything about the world changed. My guess is that very soon after the flood, many, 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 I mean, really since then, we've been losing species of animals ever since then. Because God wrecked the world. Well, sin wrecked the world because that's what it does. You follow me? The Garden of Eden was a perfect place where perfect human flourishing would happen and people were living for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And after the flood, our lives got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And it's only been in the last hundred years that that tide has been reversed a little. A little. You understand that right now the life expectancy of, an, of somebody in the first world like us is about 80 or 85 years. Okay? As opposed to people back then, you know, uh, Adam lived over 800 years and Methuselah lived over 900 years and that was normal. And actually the Bible says that in the second, in the millennial reign of Jesus, that that kind of lifespan will be restored to us, which is going to be interesting. Apparently there will be people who will live through normal human beings, not resurrected human beings, normal human beings who will live through the entire reign of Jesus on the earth. So if he comes when you're five and a thousand years later when that millennial reign is over, you'll still be around. Because that's the kind of blessing and that God's pouring out on the earth during that time. I think that's amazing. The Bible says that people will die when they're a hundred years old and everyone will say, oh, they were so young. It's going to be great. If you ever want to really just get excited about Jesus, just go start studying the millennial reign of Christ. So much fun. But that's not what our it's not where we're at. So through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. So there was apparently oh yeah, I told you about that. But anyway, the, the flood happened. Verse seven. But by his word, again, remember, by his word the earth was created. By his word the flood destroyed the earth. Now by his word, the present heavens and earth. I love that. The present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. I don't know how I feel about that. The present heavens and earth, look around, because all of it, God's keeping it around so he can burn it all to the ground. It's going to happen. Go study the book of Revelation again, and you will see this world will burn. All of it. It will burn. This present heavens and earth is being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment, and destruction of ungodly men. God's promise he won't flood the earth again, but he didn't say he wouldn't destroy it. He's 
going to burn it to the ground this time. So be careful. There is a lot of talk right now out there and around, teachers out there and around who are saying that the, that the judgment of the world is not coming. Oh, Jesus is going to reign, but what's going to happen is what's called either amillennialism or, uh, I forget what the other term is. In this church, we believe in what's called a pre-millennial uh, stance, which means that Jesus will return to the earth prior to his millennial reign, and he will reign on the earth physically for a thousand years, restoring the earth, covering it with his glory as the waters cover the sea, preparing it for the, for the habitation of Abba Father, which comes at the end of that thousand-year reign, okay, which also happens after the great white throne of judgment. Okay, I, I've probably just left a bunch of people behind right there. Forgive me. But there are people out there, very scholarly people, who say, no, 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 that's going to happen. We're in the millennium now. Jesus is reigning in heaven. He's not going to reign on the earth until all of the earth has been evangelized and we have prepared the earth for him. Then he will return and the, and the eternal state will begin at that time. That's not Bible. And that's exactly not what Peter is saying right here. He's saying the earth is going to burn. There's also a bunch of people that are saying that, no, 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 God's too good to burn the earth to the ground. God's too good to bring the, 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 the nastiness, the literal hell on earth that we see in the book of Revelation that, that we call the Great Tribulation. God, is, that's, all, that's all symbols. That's all just, you know, that all, or it all happened back in, in uh, 70 AD. You know, that, 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 nah, that's, not, that's not a future event. God's too nice for that. Wrong. Wrong. Just plain wrong. There is a day coming when this earth will burn. We need to understand it. And we need to understand why. Church, I want to, I want to invite you. One of the things that you need to be studying, when I say you need to know about the end times, one of the things that you need to know about the end times is why is Jesus, the most loving being in all of the universe, why is he burning the earth to the ground? It is a big question, and it's an important question, and it's a question the Bible gives us an answer to, but do you know what it is? Because it is important that you do. It is important that you need to, that you understand why is the most loving being in all the universe, why, is he, why does he allow humans to be consciously tortured for eternity in hell? We need to know that the answer to that question. There must be a reason that makes sense. And the truth is the Bible gives us that reason, but unless we have studied, unless we have prayed, unless we have waited on the Lord, unless we have pushed through our own offense at these ideas, at the, the offense of the idea, it is an offensive idea, this world will burn. That is an offensive idea. And if it doesn't offend you, there's something wrong with you. It offends me. I love the city of Fort Wayne. I love this. I love things about this world. I don't love the world, like the system of this world, but I, I, love, I love the people. I know people. People that I love, they are going to hell. 
And I'm going to do everything I can between now and then, between now and the time that they actually do to stop that. I'm going to talk to them about the gospel. I'm going to love them like crazy. I'm going to try. But some of them will still go. And that offends me. It should. It should. It's hell. It's offensive. But have you pushed through your own offense and figured out how is hell loving? God doesn't do anything that's not loving. How is that loving? It needs to be more than just something you have up here. It needs to be something you have in here. So that when somebody comes to you and says, I'm offended by this idea that your God would send me to hell just because I don't want to believe in him. You need to have an answer for that. And it's not enough to say, because you're a sinful heathen. That's not enough. That's not an answer. That's an excuse. Give them an answer. And it would take me more than the 11 minutes we have to unpack that. Besides, it's better if you figure, if you go towards this on your own and get into the word and let God teach you. Let God unwrap that offense from around your heart and begin to win you and tell you, this is who I am. By his word, he has reserved this present heavens and earth for fire. It's coming. The fiery eyes of Jesus are set on his bride, on his people. He is jealous for us. He wants us. He's going to do everything he can between now and then to make as sure as many human beings become a part of the bride as possible. But he will not. He is not going to rob them of the opportunity to choose him. That's not love. It's not love. Love is free and it's a choice. It's something that we do. If I waved my magic wand and made my wife love me forever, would that really be loving to her? No. If I forced my will upon her, it wouldn't. That's slavery. That's not love. So when God looks at the human race and says, I want you to love me, I love you. And he pours out his love. He pours out his own blood to make sure that we know that his love for us is beyond anything we could possibly imagine. He shows us in every possible way that he can, that he adores us, that he's after us, that he desires us. And we still look at him and spit in his face. He's not going to just, you know, knock us in the head and, oh, all of a sudden, hey, I love you now. He's not going to do that. He refuses. He will... Let you hate him all the way to your own destruction. That's a piece of that answer, but that's not the whole thing. So be careful of these people that are trying that will try and tell you that God is too good to allow people to go to hell. 
and that God is too good to destroy the whole earth with fire. God is too good not to judge the earth. And God is too good not to allow people to choose hell. That's the truth. They do not understand, those people do not understand the ugliness, the destructiveness, the the absolute terror that is sin. They don't understand it. And they do not understand the unbelievable, untouchable, inscrutable holiness of God. They don't understand it. And they are elevating the worth of man over the worth of God. And they don't. That's why it doesn't make sense. Until God is more important to you than every human that has ever existed, until he is worth more than every human life that has ever been lived, we will never understand hell, and we will never understand the judgment. Until he is truly, and bar none, supreme, until he has the supremacy in our hearts as the most desirable, the most worthy, the most the highest value and worth of all. Until that is true, we will never understand hell or judgment. We just won't. We won't. We've got to get there. And people that try and push away the teaching of judgment and the teaching of hell and try and shove it under the Christian carpet, they don't understand the worth of God. They just don't. They don't get it. Don't listen to them. Verse 8. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord one day, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Don't let this escape your notice. I've been talking, how many of you saw Interstellar? I would recommend it, it's a great movie. Interstellar, okay? Perfect illustration of how time like, is really weird, and how time for God is not like what time for us is like. Because in the movie, they go to this planet where gravity is much stronger than it is on the Earth. And when they go there, time moves really slowly for them and really fast for us, so minutes for them are decades for us. And so this guy who has a little girl back on Earth, he's just ticking off the decades of her life, and he's freaking out about it because he's just missed all of her life in these moments that they wasted on this planet. Well, this is, I love that because this is how we need to understand that God, God time and God's watch does not run on ours. We need to live in that place all the time. You know what? God, I love, you know, I, I know I do a lot of movie references, but that's just me, so just get over it. Um, I always think, <laughs> sorry, this is how my brain works. I always think of Gandalf, you know, where he says, look, a wizard's never late, he's never early, he always arrives precisely when he means to. So just understand, that's God. God's that way. He's like, look, I know you want to be here earlier. I'm not. Sorry. I'm not. But I'm not late. I'm here right exactly on time. My time, not your time. My time is important. Your time is Guess what? Peter's trying to awaken us to this fact because this argument, where is his coming? Where is his coming? Guess what? You get to set the clock. Don't ask me where his coming is. I didn't set the clock. He set the clock. I got nothing to do with it. 
I'm just walking out the days between now and then. Understand, God is not slow in keeping his promises. That's the next verse. The Lord is not slow about his promise. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly when it's going to come. He has an exact idea. He knows the very, he knows the day, the minute, the hour. He knows all of it. And he's ready. The Father knows. Now, many people have asked me this because Jesus says, Jesus says, I didn't, you know, uh, I don't know the day or the hour, only the Father in heaven. You know why he says that? This is a really interesting thing. Back in the day, this is so cool. Back in the day, when a young man would become betrothed to his fiance, okay? This is how it worked. The papas would make the arrangement, okay? He wasn't part of it. But then he would, they would have a ceremony. I forget what it's called right now. And it's an interesting word. They would have a ceremony where they would write out the terms of their engagement. Okay. I'm going to give her 30 goats and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And at the end, they would put a glass of wine down. And the groom would look at his brow. And this is what he would say. You know my father. And you believe him. And you also believe me. And I'm going to go now and I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where I am... you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. But this is how it worked, okay? He would put the glass of wine down. If she accepted, she would drink the whole thing. All of it. Didn't Jesus say, drink all of this, all of you? Right? She would drink the whole thing and put the glass down. That was her yes. Then he would say, I'm going to go now and I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And he would go back to his dad's house. And he would build a little marriage bungalow, either attached to his parents' home or on their property. A little house. It was going to be their house for the first year of their marriage. But it was not up to him when it was done. It was up to his dad. So he would build it, and he would get it as good as he could possibly make it, and then he would invite his dad. Dad, come here. I want you to look at the place that I built for my bride. And he'd come along, and he'd look at it, and he would, you know, kick it. Kick the, you know, thing and make sure it's not going to fall over. And then they would, would look at him and go, yeah, and walk away. Jesus said, I don't know when Dad's going to let me come and get you. He's the one that's making this decision. He's the one that's walking through the New Jerusalem, shaking the doorposts and holding nothing. No, Jesus, not yet. Because the groom didn't know when the wedding was going to be. It was decided by his father. When his father would finally say, it's done, it's ready, go get your girl. That's when he would grab his friends, and he would grab a trumpet, and they would go running into town, blowing a trumpet, and shouting, and they would go over the bride was. And here's the thing, from the moment she drank that wine until the moment that he came to get her, she was dressed in her wedding gown, and she was ready. Every minute from that time until the next. Every minute she was ready. Every minute she was prepared. And not only was she prepared, but her bridesmaids were prepared too. That's where the whole thing of the ten virgins comes from. They were ready. 
if they knew at any minute the dad might say, go get your girl. Guys, that's all we're waiting for. That's all we're waiting for. That's why Jesus said, I don't know. The only one that knows is my father. Why? Because dad's the one that's kicking the thing and you know, making sure that the house is ready. And eventually, he's going to look at Jesus and say, go get your girl. And we're going to be ready. Dressed in pure white linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. And he's going to come. And he's going to break through the sky. And he's going to take us home. And there shall we always be with him. Period. That's the end of the story. Or the beginning. Or the beginning. It's going to be good. The Lord is not slow about his promises. Some count slowness. He's patient towards you. Do you know why the dad would wait? Do you know why? Because the bride's family was charged with witnesses. And he was giving them time in the Bible again. That's why he would wait. What is the father waiting on? He's giving us time to invite all the guests. He's giving us time to take this gospel of the kingdom into all the nations. He, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will go into all the nations, and then the end will come. Not until that day. And God the Father is patient toward us. He's, not, he's wanting all of us to come to repentance. He doesn't want any to perish, but for all to come to repentance, and he's just waiting. He's waiting. When are they going to take the gospel to every last nation, to every last tribe, to every last tongue. And my friend, we are really close. We are really close. The number of unreached people groups on this planet is shrinking by the day. There is a day coming when everyone that, that is going to hear and respond will have heard and responded. And Daddy's going to turn to his son and say, Go get your girl. That's going to happen. And we're going to go home. And all of this striving and all of this stuff and all of this pain, it's all going to be over forever. Isn't that great? Encourage one another with these words, my friends. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you taught us about the end. That there is coming a day so soon so soon when you're going to come and get your girl. Lord, let us be ready. Let us be ready, Jesus. Let us be dressed in the pure white linen that you've given us to wear, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let us be ready. Lord, let us, have, let us hurry to invite all the guests to this wedding feast so that the day can come all the sooner because Jesus is ready to come claim his bride. He is so ready. He has got fire in his eyes. He is ready to come and to take us home and to make us his forever and to end the turmoil of this world, to end evil, to end the reign of Satan, to end the reign of sin, to end the destruction that, uh, that sin has unleashed upon the world. He's so ready for that day. His heart is burning for that day. Jesus, let our hearts burn even as his burn. And let us hasten the day, because we love you. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. 
Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you.